Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Hope you're having a great week as we move further ahead, right in the middle of August. Got a couple of guests to talk about all the sports headlines this week. First up, the return of the Panda, Ian Dunn, back again to talk some tennis. We're getting ready for the U.S. Open. We're going to talk about the Rogers Cup, Rafael Nadal's 33rd Masters, Simona Halep beats Sloane Stephens in an epic women's final, and the rise of a Greek tennis star, Stefano Sissipas. A lot to discuss, the return of Roger Federer this week in Cincinnati, and much, much more on the tennis courts with Ian Dunn. And then I'm going to talk to my buddy Tyler Tesson all the way in St. Louis. He was at the PGA Championships, the 100th edition this past weekend. You might have heard of a guy named Tiger Woods making an epic run, falling just short to Brooks Kepka, but reaffirming that he's back. We also talk a little bit about the Ohio State Urban Meyer scandal as well. Ian Dunn, Tyler Tesson on today's Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, Money Mitch Effect, officially reaching the level of reoccurring guest status. Here to talk tennis, Ian Dunn, Panda, back again. Thanks for rejoining the show. Money, I didn't think you'd have me back, dude. I, I didn't know. Uh, it took so long to get the first one, I thought we'd have to wait a couple years for the second one. I know, the dr- <laughs> wait a couple years to drop album two. No. Um, <laughs> no, man, I'm glad to be here, dude. Talk some tennis. I think part of it was just, I mean, if you would have gotten your picks wrong, it would have been a few years since I would have had you back Good on. But Good point. We outlined... How Kerber could beat Serena. Yeah. Both picked Joker over Nadal, and you even got the better of me picking Anderson over Isner in that match that went none. It could have gone either way, that Anderson-Isner. <laughs> yeah, I felt like a guru for like two two days there. I felt great. Wimbledon was fun. It, it was fun to see just some great tennis. Still poked for Nadal, then Nadal, uh, Djokovic, obviously. Kerber yeah. getting her title, but... As quickly as the winds change, we're into the hardcourt season now. Whew, thank goodness, actually, man. It's clay and grass. It just seems to go on forever. I mean, grass is only a couple weeks, but those clay tournaments, man, wear you down. Yeah, I've always felt like it, it, clay definitely wears you down, and it feels like they're just knock them out, drag them out matches. Hardcourt, you get to see a little more of the strategy, and we're in the middle. We're in the beginning of the second of two Masters events before the U.S. Open, the U.S. Open Series Masters. It's been interesting because on the women's side, Simona Halep beats Sloane Stevens, and we're going to get to that in a second, how we might have a nice budding rivalry on the women's side. Got to start with Rafael Nadal, 33rd Masters title, 80th singles title. We'll get to who he beat in a second, but just on the surface, Ian, I mean, the guy just keeps winning. With, with how hard it is that we've seen from players to overcome injuries, when you see Roger and Rafa yeah. get injured and keep trucking along, it makes you appreciate them in another life that's even possible. It's, I, I can't believe that Nadal and Fed are still around, man. I remember in 2010, Fed saying he wanted to keep playing until the Rio Olympics in 2016. And I was like, there's no way he's going to be playing until Rio. Yeah. And, I mean, both of those guys are still here. Nadal, man, is just unbelievable. What he's been able to do. And he's had more injuries years. than any of them. Yeah. I always thought he'd be the first one to retire out of him and Fed just because the body wears down. But he's he's stayed around. He's been amazing, man. I, I can't believe that he keeps winning this way. He's a specimen, and he just bludgeons players off the court. And I never really thought I'd, I'd say this, but he like Federer, it seems like he's getting better. He's got new strengths in his game that he didn't have in his teens yeah. and early 20s. Definitely. Best of three, too. I mean, I know how he's a beast. Best of five in on clay court surface, obviously. But a best of three on any surface, 
you got to like win the first set against him because he's yeah. probably not losing two in a row. Oh, God, no. And the, the lead-up to the French, you saw nobody got to better than a 7-5 set on him. Nobody won more than five games against the guy in a set for a long time. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty hard to do, man. you got to go out there every single day and perform like that. And he's still doing it on the hard courts. I mean, it's, it's been really fun to watch. handful of guys mentally, I think, can even come close to competing with him. He is maybe the greatest problem solver, as Paul Anacone yeah. said, in, in all of tennis and tennis history. But what I think about when I think about Nadal, I just think about somebody that loves to play like Federer. Like they just love to love do it. Love the game, yeah, love the game. Now, what's interesting is the scheduling side of things. These are guys in their 30s. That we, we take it for granted that they're not going to be around forever, and eventually – we don't know when, but eventually though, we'll, there yeah. will be a transition. I think we're starting to see them plotting for their future more than before. Rafa not playing Cincinnati. Yeah. Fed not playing uh, Toronto. The Rogers Cup will be in Cincinnati. Fed did the inverse last year. Yeah. He played the Rogers Cup and didn't play Cincinnati. I think this is just two guys getting up there in age, wanting to stay healthy for the U.S. Open. It was not surprising at all, especially Rafa after winning the title, immediately dropping yeah, out. Yeah. I mean, that's just something that he's willing to do, give up the rest of those points just because he's won that tournament. And I think we should be happy that they're doing that, that they're not going out there and trying to play every single week. Even yeah, because majors is what matters, yeah. yeah, yeah. No one cares if you win a 500 in Hamburg or a 250 anywhere. And we, want you to, we want to see you win slams. Yeah, and that's why I don't think Roger will catch Connor's tournament record. Yeah. I agree, yeah. Because the only way for him to do that would be to do what you said, and if he did that, he probably would. Yeah, I think so, and and that's probably the one record that's going to stand for Connors because he's got just about every other one. He'd have to play, like, if he did a, like, that'd be interesting. If he just said, I'm going to do one full season of 250s all the way through, I'm just going to burn just myself to get the record. Out. It'd be funny. Not even play the majors. Imagine that. Um, that'd be amazing. But no, it, it's exciting to see. On the flip side, we're always looking at who can be next up, who can challenge the big four. Djokovic wins Wimbledon. Loses in the round of 16 at the Rogers Cup to Stefano Sispas, who, yeah. look, man, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest here. As a Greek guy, <laughs> I got some Greek heritage, so I'm pretty happy about that. But no, this is a kid that turned 20 the day of the final. He beats four top 10 players, which had only happened a handful of times in tennis history. No one had ever beaten five in the same tournament. Yeah. He loses to Nadal in the final, but what a run for Sispas. I mean, this is somebody that's 1920 beat great players, and has continually gotten better. Started the year outside the top 160. Now he's number 15 in the world. That was, all due respect to Nadal, the story of the tournament, no question. Absolutely. I mean, you you expect Nadal to make those runs and go deep. Sitsipas a week before in D.C. made the semis, and I was there firsthand. We were watching him play Zverev, and Zverev just wiped him off the court, and there was a great video of him slapping his head like six times in a row. Very violent. Yeah, very. I've never seen that before. It It was amazing. But I think that shows you how much he cares and how much he wants it and how much he's willing. I mean, in Miami, he almost got in a fight with Daniel Medvedev yeah. because he took a bathroom break late and Medvedev like, was screaming at him. So he's just matured so much in this season. And I think he might be the guy, man. He might be well, him, Zverev. Those are the dudes, man. It's uh, it's kind of like the AI robots, like iRobot. They're getting self-aware. <laughs> yeah. Early in the year... And even, obviously, last year. But early in the year, he was losing to lower-name players. He was yep. struggling. He's continually getting better. And if you want a great example of that, obviously beating Zverev in the rematch. Yeah. How about how about the fact that he played Nadal a lot tougher? 
than he did in the one final he made before in Barcelona when he makes the final of that and it's a great story and I know it's the Dawn Clay but it wasn't a contest he's he's got the weapons man Stefanos has the weapons he's got the big the big serve he's out there serving 130 every time the backhand I thought was a little suspect earlier in the year because he was just kind of swiping it but man he gets everything back on that side now everything's a a weapon for this guy and Nadal had him I mean first set bludgeoned him obviously he says Sipas was tired it's a big match but in the second set, match. Nadal's up a break serving for it, and he breaks back. Yeah. I mean, just to keep fighting is what I look for. Another thing is big moments. He's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, we, we joke about how he yells, and he hits himself in yeah, the head yeah. and does crazy stuff. But he had a lot of break points throughout the tournament, saved a lot of match points, lost a lot yeah. of first sets. Got to play big points well, and he was doing I mean, that. we criticize guys in their 20s and in their 30s for choking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he just turned big 20, time, and... And he was doing all this stuff, so it's good to say. I know he lost to Go Fan in Cincinnati, but like we said, it's hard to play a lot of these tennis. He had a couple. Two days, days off. after you make your first Masters and a, final, and a top ten, pretty yeah, much. Go Fan's been good. He's you know the past couple weeks has been playing well. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to see what Stefanos does the rest of the week. The re, I mean the rest of the year and into next year. I mean it'll be really fun to watch him keep growing. Got a personality too, which is oh, kind of yeah. cool to see. Saying he didn't care if he died out there, yeah, and just. Laughing with the press, blaming his dad for the bad challenges. And he's got the flow, too, man. That he hair does. is for real. He you looks know, like Borg out there. Well, I do. I mean, he could be Borg's son. I mean, it wouldn't surprise yeah, me. That's true. You I'm never saying. know. You never know. Yeah, he. I uh, know that flow is making a lot of people jealous. Um, <laughs> me you included. Met, you mentioned, yeah, we're all jealous. Of that. Zverev, him, Korich, Chapovalov, TFO into the top 40. Demon Hour. Demon Hour, Chung, shown flashes. Yeah. I just want to point out. As we segue into talking about a guy I'm not too impressed with, at least off the court, Alexander Zverev, <laughs> that he's not a lock anymore to win the Grand Slam first. No. no. And based on how he's struggled in Grand Slams and based on how I think there's mentally some issues with him. The game's sick. Like, we, we all know oh, that. He's got all the, it's, all the weapons. But you can't, you can't self-destruct down the stretch in big matches, which he did again. Yep. And you can't just act like a bratty little kid every time you lose. Like, I get it that I get that there's a microphone in your face immediately after you lose yeah. and you're frustrated. And I get that you're going to say things that you might regret and you're passionate. And, and all tennis players, a lot of athletes have been there. Why do you have to say Sissipas didn't even play good? Yeah, he only played and terrible. And twice he said it, not just one he slip He backed up. it up, yeah. He backed it up later in the answer. Uh, it's interesting, man. I remember Juan Carlos Ferrero. Uh, was coaching him last year. That was a big breakup. And Ferrero was quoted as saying, like, he sh- showed up late to practice all the time. And, like, I'm not going to be with a guy that's not trying to do that. Ferrero's I'm not saying also, that's what he is now. He's also not going to put up with it. He's former number one. Yeah, he's, he's been there. He's done <laughs> yeah. that. He knows what he has to do to compete. And I think it, it's easy to call a guy out for all that, but he's still only, like, 21, 22 years old. So he's still a kid on tour, mm-hmm. on a tour that has more and more players into their late 30s. Well, you look at a guy like Kyrgios, that'd be my counter to that argument, is yep. that we said the same thing the last two years, and look where we are with Nick, who the only guy I would argue that might have a better overall game than Zverev, but potential-wise. Oh, and we're uh, still two, three Kyrgios. years later, and nothing's changed, and he's still going out there and having his issues. So, But I, at least he's the same guy every week. Kyrgios is always yeah. going to be Kyrgios. Okay. Zverev, I feel like sometimes he'll go in there and be like, I'm the dude, like I'm happy to be here, and other times he's like... I don't want to answer these questions. You know, I, I just want to go home. There's two other sides to that, though. I think one being with Zverev and with a lot of young tennis players, they're kind of pampered when they're that skilled. Like, yeah. you're the best. You're going to beat all the. You've beaten all these players. From Another promising old, junior man. career. 
to lose is going to be tough for any of these guys. But the other thing is that was only the second time I think he lost. Second or third time he lost to someone younger than him. Yeah. I don't think he likes losing to these young guys. I think he wants no, to be the guy. He yeah. wants to be the face. He thinks he's the, the face of the generation. So not only do you lose to someone ranked lesser than you, but you lose to somebody that people are saying, oh, maybe this is the yeah, guy. Oh, hold on. Maybe this guy is His hair is nicer than yours. Yeah. Better, better flow. Who knows? That, had, that, if, yeah, that would be the one that would, I think, piss him off the most if you say his hair is better. But, yeah. look, I, we all expect big things. But last year at the U.S. Open, we're getting to a year, right? Zverev had the easiest side of a draw possible. Yeah. You know. Murray pulls out the day before the tournament and or two days before the tournament and he loses in the second round of courts. Another young guy. So he's had some bad losses in majors. Golbis. He's gotten bageled in two of the last three. Bagel against Chung, man. And and I think Golbis bageled in two. Yeah, Golbis too. I mean, you can't let Golbis bagel you in any set. No. So we'll see what happens there. Ian Dunn, the Panda Money Mitch effect. It's been exciting. I do want to talk about the women's tour because you have. Halep and Stevens in yep. another final. And dare I say, nice little budding rivalry here. It is. It was another good match, another three-set match that went down to it. Sloan obviously had her chances to win, but these two are starting to kind of separate themselves. I know Wimbledon, everybody lost, so it's hard yeah, to take, yeah. take heat in that. There. But quietly becoming the two best players in the sport, I would think. They, like you said, they have separated themselves. And honestly, their matches are fun to watch. So often I feel like with a, a Serena match where she's playing somebody, she just destroys them. You right. know, and it's not like a good three-set match with ebbs and flows. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, Serena just dominated. Right. But with Halep and Sloan, they both are so good at returning serve. And they, they each have great. good but not great serves. So you can see a lot of breaks. But not in the sense that it's a, it's a cliche WTA match where it's break city because both of them can move very well. Yeah, they're two of the great best running, athletes on them. Great running forehands for each of them. And... and st- Surprisingly underrated net game. What you do see, though, is you have to be mentally checked in at the start of each set or it can Ooh, go downhill Start fast. of each game. You never know, man. It's Both of those players, really fun to watch. Sloan has a chance to really separate herself from the rest of the top teners. I mean, Halep's always going to be there because she's got the, the speed and the power and, honestly, the mental fortitude. Really impressed. There, she like. played, what, the four matches to get to the final in, like, 48 hours? Yeah. Just furious about the scheduling, which I get. I mean, there was a lot of it did come off as sour grapes, but the one point that she had was they put her on first in the morning after having two matches the night before. Yeah, That's that was ridiculous. So weird, man. That was really well, weird that they did that. Luckily, it was Ash Barty though, so no. yeah, it's basically <laughs> so, a walkover yeah, so at that point. That's probably their uh, defense there. But no, this is an intriguing U.S. Open because let's say these two do meet in the final. Let's see these two if it's possible if they're on different draws depending on the rankings, but. A lot at stake, because if you get that second slam, that's when you start building that Hall of Fame resume and you start pushing to a side being a one-hit wonder. I'm not saying that either of them are. Sloan obviously has won a Masters 1000 tournament, yeah. been at a Grand Slam final in addition to winning, and Halep has been number one for a while. But that second major means a lot. And I think it's going to be big to see how Sloan responds to having to try to win the U.S. Open again. Defend points. Yeah, defending you know your first crown is, is a big deal. You saw what happened with Muguruza. You know, she won the French and then didn't do anything until Wimbledon the next year. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard. It's it's a different mental state than, oh, wow, I won it. That's amazing. To now, I won this last year. I know I can do it. Now I have to do it. i got to defend these points. So I, it's really interesting to me to see what Sloan does because she's got the game to beat anybody. She can beat Serena. She can beat Kerber. She yeah. can beat Halep. 
Kerber, I just I do want to give Kerber credit because we love Kerber. that is big a Kerber big fans. game player. Big time. Like Clutch. she's gotten into that like stand range where I don't really pay attention to the Masters thousand Masters events. Yeah, she's. I'm a huge Kerber fan, man. She has showed up any anytime she's had a chance. She's shown up. One match, she doesn't take those opportunities lightly. Like we were talking about keys in the final last year, Oof. like Lindsay Davenport saying. These chances don't come around too often, and then here we are. Yeah. But Mugu, you mentioned her. Like, the injury scared me. Because the rest of the tour, we're, we're assuming it's a Halep Sloan final just because of how consistent they've been yeah. compared to everybody else. Obviously, you can get hot and things could happen. But Mugu's injury scares me. Spitalina can't win a big match, it seems. No, she can win Dubai every year, but that's about it. <laughs> Ostapenko's gone in the complete garbage. She loses Ooh. early in to Cornet, I think, in Cincinnati. Worst thing you can do is win a major as a woman. I mean, who's there? how to play tennis. Who's next? I mean, Sharapova is... That's the thing. Serena, Sharapova? Well, I, it's open. Serena, obviously, you can't count her out because it's Serena Williams, and, and she's always capable of serving her way into a match and, and yeah. out-hitting the opponent. Sharapova... I'm not gonna say that she's. I'm not gonna say it was the drugs. I just want to put that out there. But hasn't looked good. She's won a couple matches in all these tournaments. She's gotten to a top ten, top fifteen player, and they've hit her off the court. Yeah, they've attacked her. that second serve. So I'm. I'm not liking what I see. And we all thought when she came back, she was gonna be Maria Sharapova again. She's also over thirty. Like I. Yeah. Take Roger, Rafa, and Serena out of the equation, Djokovic. Like that's it. Yeah. Nobody else. It's hard to keep doing this and. And she wasn't somebody that I thought moved particularly well. Yeah, she. but I will say she's one of the more mentally stronger females on right. tour. No, that's always going to be. She's that. not going to beat herself. Even if she has a terrible, you know, double serves down set point, she'll come back the next game and, and try her best. And I feel like the WTA is missing that a lot. A lot of players, if you go down a break, you might just lose the set 6-1. I think Sharapova can fight, but I also think she just she doesn't seem to have it anymore. No. You know? I don't, I don't know if she'll ever get it back. I mean, who do we think that next player is going to be, though? Like, Kvitova? She's, Kvitova's gotten going. Yeah. It's probably going to be somebody that random, but there's always that Do you think it'll potential. be a first-time first, first time champion at the U.S. like it was last year? Wow. Um, for that to happen, I think it would have to be Pliskova. Yeah, I can I see Pliskova. I think Pliskova's game... She should have won that one against Kerber, too. Yeah, she ago. was the only one at Wimbledon, only top 10 seed to, to make... She's, she advanced the farthest out of any top 10 seed. Yeah. And for serves on, she's won a Masters title from Cincinnati a few years ago. I think she could be the one to be the eighth different woman in the last yeah, eight yeah. Grand Slams to win it. Well, she plays, you know, strike-first tennis, which... On the women's tours, so often I feel like there's just defenders. Everyone's defending. And I feel like if she loses the first set, I'm not going to give her too much credit in terms of being mentally tough. But with that serve, I mean, you could get yourself right back. Same thing it. with Serena. You can yeah. serve your way back into the match. If they can't, if they can't return the serve, they can't break you. And also you know? has to probably win a few matches to get her confidence going. <laughs> yes, yes. The, you look at what's happened. I mean, we've been touting players like Coco Vandeweghe. I think did she lose again today? I think so. Yeah. Australian Open semifinalist a year ago. You don't ago. have to bring up Coco here. Mugu you know my Kerber. love for Coco. I know you're open, but what, like, But is it – my question with that is, I was having this discussion today, was it flash in the pan or is she going through a, a crisis or what? She's 24, right, 25? Yeah. She, you know what it is? I think that the overall level of the WTA is kind of – they're all really high, and I think anybody can beat any – it's like – There's specialists. There's a lot of parity. You know, you know, anybody – Nicolescu can go out there and beat Serena once, you know. So I think with Coco, a lot of times when you have that first breakthrough, you realize that you can do it and you can you have the weapons to create 
great shots and win big matches. And then all of a sudden, you're in the first round of a tournament in Romania, and you're down like a set and a break, and you're like, well, I know I can do this. What the heck's going on? Right. And you've just lost in straight sets, and you're out. Uh, knowing you have the ability and using that ability are two different things. We didn't mention Wozniacki, but she just kind of always seems to be there. Yeah. And if the draw breaks for her and people beat each other, sure, why not? Yeah, absolutely. You're, I'm never going to say she's the favorite to win a major ever, no. but she can win it. And I, I'm, I'm glad she got hers so yeah. we can stop talking about her being the greatest right. player to never win one. Right, that's yeah. probably Red Wanska now, honestly. Yeah, is she still on the tour? She lost today, yeah, she's still on the tour. A lot of, a lot of surgery, hate to see that. Yeah, she's, she's good for the for the sport too, man. She's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd say Garcia's another mix too, like another one that's going to be in the mix. Has gotten up to like six in the world. Yeah. I don't know that her great. game's necessarily there, but she's going to make you battle. It's the consistency that's going to put these players over the top. Yeah. And there's not a lot of consistency in the top ten right now. It's like other a, than like, the top three or four I mean, players. Who is Indian Wells' final? Osaka and Kazakina. Like, we're waiting on them. They look like future major champions. Oh, yeah. but People are saying Kazakina's going to win the French in the next couple of years. Maybe. I mean, She could. Anything's possible. But, but her and Osaka, head cases, man. Well, we're recording this, and Serena's going to play... Uh, Tonight, so we'll see what happens. There are a lot going on that. Hey, maybe Sakari, if we're going to keep with the oh. Greek theme. Hey, best shoulders in the game, man. She's she is cut ripped. up. She's ripped. She beat Osaka today, and that's somebody that's come a long way and I think could push to be a top 20. I like Sakari, man. She's got a good player. game for sure. All right, Money Mitch Effect, Ian down the Panda here. Getting back to the men's game. Talk about some struggles. What's going on with Jack Sock? Whew. I mean, I bring him up because... He's American and also was Paris champion, ATP final, semifinalist. Paris champion, tour. but he beat Philip right. Krajinovic. Yeah, he beat Verdasco in the semi. Yeah, I mean, sure, hey, it's a Masters. Out. You can only play who you can play. You can only play who's in front of you. But, but here's the thing. He's 5-16 and 16 on the year. He was touted as the next great. He, he was the American top-ranked singles player. Yeah. The way he's going, he's going to have to play challengers to qualify for Melbourne. Yeah. Like, we're getting to that point. He has had a horrendous season. Really bad. It's I don't know. To me, it seems like he's just got a bad attitude out there. Like, he doesn't, if he's losing, he's just in the mumble tank, and he's like, screw this, I don't want to be Yelling here. at umpires, opponents, opponents, coaches. It's just something every time. He's Everybody, got a funky game, too, man. That forehand, the grip that he has, you got to time it perfectly every time, mm-hmm. or else you're going to get shanks and you're going to miss balls. Today he was super lazy at the net against Chung. Maybe he was injured. I, I don't know, but something's not right. And he's playing all that doubles, though. Yeah. Hey, he's, he's you got to give it to him. He's definitely trying to get the matches in. And look, tennis is hard, man. There's it a is. lot of great players on the there ATP are. right now. The, the old group is still great. The young group is really good. And right. he's kind of in the middle there with all those guys that are 23, 24, 25. That lost generation. That lost generation, yeah. Because we're getting to that point with that generation. I mean, Milos hasn't won. Dimitrov, Nishikori. I mean, yeah. Song, like, Ferrer's going to retire now, which, I mean, it's well past Whew, due. That should have been a couple years ago. Sad to see him go because he's great. He is, but he fell off pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, we'll see with Songa and Birdie. I mean, they're pretty hurt, but if the fall's that hard, but that generation seems to be going by the wayside, but... I think so. I mean, it is a, it is interesting. I do want to give a, a big shout-out to Delpo. Oh, yeah. Number three in the world, man. I mean... Friend of the show, to Juan get, Martin. Yeah, to, definitely. <laughs> to get to where he is, three in the world, after all the surgeries, after all the... Man. And a legit third or fourth best player. I mean, obviously, we got Joker. Murray's not Murray anymore. Yeah. 
Delpo is the fourth best player in the world. Like he's the guy you would fear third or fourth most, third or fourth most at every Grand Slam. I would say Nadal, Zverev, and Delpo have had the best seasons. I mean, obviously Fed wins the Aussie, but mm-hmm. he hasn't. Play he hasn't yeah, he hasn't season. played as much tennis. Delpo, man. For a while there, won like three or four tournaments in a row, won Acapulco. I put Delpo second behind Nadal just because Nadal kept beating him at these Grand Slams, right? Yeah. French yeah, Open semi is now Wimbledon at quarterfinalist. I love Delpo. Wins man. Indian Wells, wins his first Masters 1000. I think met, we talk about the mentality you have to have. He's not afraid of any of these guys. No, he knows what his game is. And when he first came back from those surgeries, he didn't have a backhand at all. He was slicing everything one-handed. Yeah. And now you sort of see he's gotten the flexibility back, and it's changed his game. It's, it's, he's back. He might be a better player now than when he won the U.S. Open. He may be a wow. more complete player Definitely, now. Definitely more complete. He's in shape, which, I mean, he was when he won those titles, but he wasn't in yeah. best-of-five cardio Grand Slam shape. That uh, forehand, too, man, is, like, unbelievable. It's still, it may still be the it. biggest forehand in the game, the best weapon of any player. One of the greatest ever, maybe the greatest ever. It's like the last thing to go. It's like a boxer who always yeah. have that thing. Even it'll be forty, and he'll be just just whomp, whipping whomp. those things. Oh yeah. Um, no, he's another one to look out for. I'm happy to see Stan back. I mean, I don't know yeah. that we talk about like Murray, and, and Murray is still in the inter- in the beginning stages of a comeback. Stan's starting to win some matches. We don't know if these two guys will ever get to where they were. Yes. Probably not. Winning seven in a row is a lot. You know, if you want to win a major. But they're fighting. They seven. they could have he's both of them could have retired. No problem. They each have three grand slams. They were saying after Murray's surgery on his hip, he might not be able to walk again, let alone play tennis. Mm. So the fact that he's even out there, I mean he walks around like he's a duck because he's like he can barely move. He's his a hips. big guy though. Like Ooh. that's But boy, you yeah. saw we were in DC, yeah. the one match where finished at like three AM against Marius Copil, and he just teared up and cried for like five, six minutes. And it just shows you how much the guy cares and how much he wants to get back. And and you need players like that for all of the, the curioses that are, you know, they don't care. They're out there just to do whatever they want to do. Murray cares. Stan yeah. cares. You know, those guys want to be there. They've tasted that success and don't want to let it go. And they wouldn't be on the court if they didn't. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is you see guys like Kyrgios, Sock, whoever is very of at times that look like they don't want to be there yeah especially with age playing in your 30s knowing what an injury is like they don't need to be there if they're out there they want to win every time you you lace up which is why i do kind of respect not playing in the grand slams if you're not fully up to it yeah you don't want absolutely. to embarrass their names and give the fans just a bad match not that i'm wishing injury on anybody <laughs> that's but... a good way to start to say it. <laughs> but, but i really hate the Phillies. yeah no, man uh, <laughs> um it would be I don't think it would be detrimental to a player to be out for a couple months. A young player, a Zverev, a Sitsipas, a Kyrgios, you know, to be really injured for a bit and not play and realize, wow, I'm not I playing tennis. This, yeah. I miss I miss the feeling of being this out there. I miss winning. I miss yeah. all this stuff. Because it's great when you're you're winning a lot of matches and you've got fancy yachts and you're flying across the world and you got a ton of money. Mm-hmm. But when all that goes away, you realize how much you love the sport and how much you need the sport. Those and guys, I think a lot yeah. of these young guys don't have that. They're just like, oh, it's just another day. i got to go out there and practice again. You know, it's ridiculous. And Those guys win tournaments for the first times in their lives. They get lots of money. They get endorsement deals. They get bonuses. They oh, kick yeah. in. They buy houses. I imagine if I won, oh, I'd be a terrible professional tennis player. It's cool, though. You know, it's, it's awesome to buy houses, go out, have drinks yeah. with your friends, pay for bottle 50 service. 50-foot yacht, dude. Come on. 
You know what's not fun is practicing seven in the morning. You know, working on your backhand every day. You know, Twitch, watching a thousand film. serves every day. It's unbelievable what Fed and Nadal are doing. Like I just gotta, I just gotta say that again. All right, last thing here, Ian Don Money Mitch effect. Fed's back. He's playing yep. Cincinnati. He's gonna play the U.S. Open. And from we know, from what we know from last year, he's gonna ride it all the way out the rest of the season until, yeah. until his body shuts down or until he makes that call. I could see him pulling out of Shanghai, but. You know, last year he didn't, though. Last year we yeah. were all after he loses in the U.S. Open quarters, and we're like, ah, is he going to shut it down? He played all the way through. Yeah. He, I think he was chasing that number one, man. You think so? I think he was. I think Even though he says he doesn't care, he doesn't care about it and everything, yeah. I think subconsciously, like, Nadal's to be number one at 38, 37, 38. Nadal's lead is just staggering now. But oh, yeah. if he wins the U.S. Open, who knows? I do think that there's nothing wrong with, obviously, you're not going to play if you're hurt, but... What's the worst thing that happens? He tweaks something and he shuts it down. I mean, then you yeah. got the offseason. So I think he's fine with riding it out as his body holds up from this point. I just want to know what version of Fed we're going to see. I, I, I don't know that there's slippage. I wouldn't say that. I just would say one thing is that he's lost, lost a couple matches yeah. where he has been 100% on in terms of 100%. Like a half step down. slow, like missing easy shots. Well, what I would ask you is, is it. Is it age? Is it is his game kind of falling, or is it just not playing enough tennis? Is that what you sacrifice by not playing every week? I think what you saw at Wimbledon uh, had a lot to do with the amount of tennis he played before that, because he played all of Stuttgart, won that, played all of Halle, lost in the final to Chorich, right. and even he said when he was getting to Wimbledon, like. I didn't expect to be playing this much tennis. Like, I played two straight weeks and was really tired. Yeah. And I think that's telling because you need to play two weeks to win a major. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Fed's just an older dude. And, and like you said, not playing all those matches, you, you only have a, a certain amount of time to get your body in sync with your game. Yeah. And you need those matches under your belt. But then again, he's so good that if he runs the table and wins every match... He's going to be more tired because he's playing more tennis, so it's he's got to kind of. I mean, we got to give. Of it. We do have to give Anderson credit. <laughs> I, mean, I know the game can be kind of boring, but he's made two of the last four Grand Slam finals, and that's a tricky matchup for anybody. Yeah, at his age too, man. I mean, you're playing a big server who is who is money in in enormous points. Had the forehand going. I mean, it's tough. It's he had his chances. I mean, he was yeah. right there. So good yeah. on Anderson. One guy I'd like to bring up is Dimitrov who has had a terrible season again. But last year, won Cincinnati, won the World Tour Finals, and we're all like, whoa, maybe maybe he's going to step up this year and show up, and not even a little bit. So I'd like all to see what he in, does the rest of the year. All the game in the world. Because all he can play on hard – all the game in the world, none of the brain. All the game, no brain. Chilich is another one, too. A, lot, a couple Consummate grand pro, finals. yeah, he's – He's got the game. All these guys have the game. It's a matter of putting it together match by match, point by point. I think Roger's going to be just fine leading up because there's one thing we know about him. He doesn't need a lot of reps beforehand no, to no. succeed in a major. The draws will be telling to see who gets what and who gets where. And he doesn't need to win Cincinnati to no. win the U.S. Open. You know, a lot of these players need, need to win big before a tournament to keep it going. And I think Fed would be fine if he lost in the second or third round. He's still going to show up to the U.S. Open and be a favorite in every match he plays. Well, what's the draw look like? It's going to be Fed getting uh, <laughs> yeah, a bunch of nobodies. or Nish or somebody in the quarterfinals. Delpo in the semis or Anderson. And then Those guys got to get there, too. 
then is Zverev final? Where's Djokovic on the other side? So Zverev Djokovic could be an interesting one in this tournament too. I'm excited to have Fed back. I know we miss him not being out there, yeah. but him doing this is extending his career. Yeah, you're going to see more Federer, but not as often. Fed could have just burned it, burned it out from last year, and he'd probably have been done by. It could have been year. like David Ferrer and played every single week, lose on Thursday, go play another week, lose on Thursday. Should we make U.S. Open picks? Should we do it? Oof. Are you ready yet? I'm not ready yet. I need to see the bracket, man. I'm a bracket guy. I agree. I'll give you... I don't know if we'll be doing another one before the U.S. Okay. Open. So yeah. I'll give you... On the men's side, your final is going to be... Well, you're doing a final. I'm that ready. Could be I'm not ready. Happy. That could not happen. I'll like, say the two players that are likely to make a final. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go Djokovic. Okay. And I'm going to go Zverev. Wow. No Fed. No Nadal. Nope. No Delpo. On the women's side, Keys makes the final. You heard it here first. <laughs> and probably last. And, and wins three games in the final <laughs> to lose. Yeah. I wow. think. Who do you think wins it then? You're going to see somebody that's won a major this year on the women's side and win the U.S. So it's either going to be Waz. Okay, Sloan. so help then. Yeah, I think. I'm sorry to Kerber, but I just can't see back to back. That'd be amazing. Help. That's help. Peaking. I'll go help. Mentally tougher. I think we're kind of cursed. That's my prediction. We're not going to see Fed Nadal at the U.S. Open. We're cursed. We're never going to see Fed Nadal in a major final again, I don't think. Yeah. We're probably cursed. I'd say Delpo. We don't deserve Del it Del lurking. We've had it so often. We don't deserve yeah. it anymore. Delpo's lurking. That's my prediction. Oh, if he gets another one, man. Ooh, I, I'm always in up for Delpo all the time. Be happy. It'd be one that everybody's rooting for. Yeah, even the players. I think everybody loves Delpo. We'll Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Got to <laughs> give him a shout. All right, Ian Dunn, Panda, Money Mitch. In fact, this was fun. I got to get ready for Hard Knocks. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yes, excuse yes. me. Props on uh, the Bucks and Browns. We probably have the two worst coaches in the league, so oh, that's man. something. It's going to be a long season. Three weeks without Jameis will probably be the best three weeks of the season for me. So. And, I, and I got a coach that doesn't like when guys say they should work hard, so yeah. that's pretty fun. Yeah, it's going to be cool. a great year, man. You know, why, why would you want to practice? Hey, uh, all you need is one win, and you're good. Yeah, Free that, Bud Light if you get one win. That's what they said. The, the search continues. All right. Money Thanks Mitchell for back. Me, this was fun. All right. Huge thanks to Ian Dunn for coming on today's show. Again, I'm talking tennis. Won't be the last time we talk to him. Only a couple weeks away from the U.S. Open, the final major of the year. It's crazy that we've gotten to this point, but we'll see what happens in Cincinnati. Serena Williams losing to Petra Kvitova after we recorded that. So much, much more to discuss and, and see what happens as we get ready for the U.S. Open. Now it's time to talk golf with Tyler Tesson. He was in St. Louis. He lives in St. Louis, but he was at the PGA Championships. He was there all weekend when Tiger Woods almost pulled off the impossible coming from behind and getting to second. Couldn't quite pass Brooks Kepka. He shot a 64 in the final round. I talked to Tyler about what it was like to be at the tournament, the Tiger experience, his crowds, and what it was like when Tiger made those putts, how the roars were something different. We talk about that in the Urban Meyer scandal at Ohio State. Tyler tests on now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect. Usually coming on to talk hockey, but this time we're going to talk some golf. The PGA Championship this past weekend in St. Louis. Call my buddy Tyler Tess on Tyler. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me. 
I was uh, I was just saying the other day, you know, I don't normally get super jealous sports stuff anymore in terms of just attending events. I've been pretty fortunate, but I got to say I was pretty jealous of you and all my St. Louis friends who got to go to the PGA Championships because not only was it a golf major in St. Louis, in St. Louis, which hardly ever happens, but you got to see one of the best, one of the most drama-filled ones uh, in a very long time. Tiger Woods losing by two shots to Brooks Kepka, who wins his third major. Was that one of the best sporting events you've ever been to? As someone who's been in St. Louis, seen a lot of big baseball games and, and blue hockey games, was that one of the best sporting events you've ever been to? Hands down. I I don't know. I mean, it's kind of prisoner of the moment, but I almost think right now I'd put it up there at the top. Wow. Um, Winter Classic was up there. I've been to a few World Series games. Kentucky Derby I'd put up there. This is a top sporting event, but... This one, I think just the Tiger factor just made it extra special. And it's all him. I mean, no offense to Brooks Kepka. I feel bad no one isn't really – very few people are talking about how this guy's done something that only a handful of Americans have done, Tiger included, to win three majors before he turns 28. But it is the Tiger factor. I mean, we're talking about this because of him, because of what he did on Sunday, him being in the mix, right? I mean, it had to be – the biggest thing was what's Tiger doing at all times. Everybody was paying attention to him and hardly anyone else. Yeah, and the amazing part is, you know, early Thursday morning, people were thinking they had to get out there Friday because it wasn't looking good. Like, he'd even make the cut. Started out double bogey bogey and just it really didn't look like he had any hope. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. This PGA Championship was, I think, the lowest – I think the best shooting through two rounds in major history plus one was the cut line. So the pros were just tearing up the course. But as it got going, as it got to Saturday and Sunday and Tiger started to find his groove, there's a different level of energy. And we've always talked about how important and how crazy at times Tiger is. But through the highs and lows, through all of Tiger Woods' dominance, Tower, there's no other athlete like him. There's nobody else that moves the needle. There's nobody else that attracts the amount of fans and creates the amount of buzz i'd say ever at least in my lifetime i haven't seen anyone i'd probably put michael jordan right up there but i'd probably give tiger a slight edge he's the most single impactful in terms of a sport athlete that i've ever seen yeah and it was just unbelievable seeing it in person his crowds were 10 times the size of anyone else and the 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 craziest part is i was behind one of the holes on saturday Tiger came through, packed, couldn't see anywhere. And then probably like 15, 20 minutes later, Fowler comes through, Justin Thomas comes through, and there's maybe 50 people on the hole to watch <laughs> top, them because everyone's following Tiger. Yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah. if Tiger wasn't playing, those guys would have be one of the biggest crowds out there, and there was maybe 50 people following those guys around. Unbelievable. It was Tiger's best three rounds to end a major in his career it was his best major round final at 64 of a career and we know courses play differently but i'll say this what he did sunday was the most incredible round of golf i've ever seen maybe not the best we've seen players shoot lower scores and do better on tougher courses and tigers done a lot to win majors in his in his career 14 and counting but he shot a 64 tower and he barely even hit a single fairway yeah that that's honestly the most amazing part is he barely hit any fairways at all and somehow pulled it off when 
you know, the course was kind of known by all the other players. Well, if you're in the rough, you don't really have a chance at birdie. And his iron play was just so solid that he had a chance every hole. It was clutch putting. It was just unbelievable performance uh, top to bottom. And I think we can agree on this. Kepka wins the major and Tiger falls just short. But just him being back, not only is it just amazing for golf, but the fact that he got to being close enough to win the last two majors is as good of info as you can get for any golf fan. Tiger being back in the mix, there's no guarantee that he's going to win one, but this is the best thing that could have ever happened to golf, that Tiger's back being competitive and now in the mix to potentially win one in the next 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, at the open, he was in contention. I kind of, I don't know, I felt like he took the lead there. I think it was in the 10th hole, but I still think a lot of people really didn't think he was going to win it. But this weekend, I think there was a lot of hope that he had a chance, you know, going into with five or six holes left. It was, it's it so for real. Yeah, the, the one thing, though, that I would say is you look at golf leaderboards, shots back is one thing. You kind of got to look at the names, how many people are in between you and the lead. And I did feel like Tiger was having to play the round of his life, which he pretty much did, and also have to make up ground and pass a couple other people. You just had a sense, at least I did, that somebody like Kepka, Scott, whoever was at the top, would shoot a good round. And Kepka shot 66, as great as Tiger did. Kepka was only two shots worse and needed those two shots to win. I, I just, whenever you have to make up that much ground, as great as Tiger Woods is, I think it's it's a tough ask for anybody in that sport. And the crazy thing is, I was on hole 11, the one that literally oh. was just sitting on the edge of the cup. Incredible. I mean, that's an, that's an inch away. He almost, I think it was 16, he almost holed out. And then, um, was it 17, the birdie, or the, Par putt that he rang around the cup, you know, those three shots right there could have been the difference. I know you could say that for anyone, but, you know, all three of those shots were inches from changing everything. Yeah, you play 72 holes. It's it's hard to pick one. Those were, I mean, as close as you could get. You could say the first couple of holes, how bad he started on Thursday might have done him in, or the back nine the first three days when he just didn't have that same magic and missed a couple of those birdie putts, especially some short ones on Saturday, but it is good to have him back, and he is going to make even more money with uh, being back in the mix, I would think. He's going to re-up some of those deals he has for equipment and sponsorships, because he's fully back in the mix and showed his dominance yet again. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the funniest things was when Tiger, I think Thomas was talking about it afterwards, but it was, I think Thomas was on 11, Tiger birdie 9, they put Tiger's birdie up on the scoreboard. Everybody's just going absolutely crazy. And then Kepka just birdied. They updated there. And people are just booing. <laughs> so like, it was just, yeah. I've never seen something like it in my life. Yeah, there's two roars of Tiger. There's the roar at the hole, and then there's the roar when they update the score when everybody gets to see him. And, yeah, it's unfortunate, but <laughs> you get the sense that if you're not Tiger Woods, you're the enemy when he's in contention on the yeah. major. But. What a scene it was. Tyler Tesson still in the Money Mitch Effect talking the PGA Championships 2018. Brooks Kepka did win his major second of the year. U.S. Open champ twice is now a PGA champion as well. Here's the first thing I'll say, because he is a very strong golfer that doesn't seem to have many weaknesses and hit a lot of those fairways just blasting away at the tee. But a lot of players on that tour said 
that they wanted to tell you, they wanted to go stride for stride with Tiger on the final Sunday of a major, and he's the only guy that beat him. So that's where I give him the biggest respect is mentally being able to withstand that Tiger surge that nobody else could come yeah. close to doing. Yeah, it was interesting. He said he was feeding off all the energy and all the roars for Tiger because he kind of knew something happened, so he had to pick it up or just keep it going. So, you know, I think most of the players in the past have been intimidated whenever that went on, and it sounds like he was just kind of feeding off the energy. Yeah, it felt like those last two holes. I mean, he finished with a two-hole lead, with a two-hole lead, two-shot lead in the end of the tournament. But he did seem a little, at least from what I was watching, conservative. And why wouldn't you be? You have, you know, you have a lead. You have people telling you what the score you're playing with Scott as well. I felt like if he needed to get to 17 or 18, he probably could have done it. No shame in just uh, taking the sure thing when you know you have that insurance. Yeah, if Tiger plays like this back in a payday. You know, 2008 or nine. I don't think there's anybody out there that would have beat him in this tournament playing like this. Just I don't think the field he was playing against was nearly as strong as it is today. Right, and he had that mental edge over everyone his age, his era. They knew who yeah. the alpha was. These guys are coming up in another era, and they didn't see peak Tiger. So I, I do agree with that, though. I mean, the, the, young, the young game, especially on the American side, is very fun to watch. I know Spieth didn't have a great a great tournament. Justin Thomas faltered a little at the end, but you had Fowler in there in, and with Kepka now being a major player with three. This is as deep as I can remember the young golfers coming up, at least since, I mean, we're relatively yeah. young, but it, it's a boom for sure. Yeah. John Rahm was up there. He kind of, he didn't really get much spotlight, but I think he ended up finishing third or maybe fifth, but I mean, he was up there till the very end. It was fun. I mean, it was a fun uh, fun time of year. I mean, I saw some interesting stats uh, with Sergio Garcia didn't make a single cut an entire uh, major this year. Mickelson missed the cut again, but Tiger Woods being back, and I think that makes the Ryder Cup interesting because there's no way in hell he's not going to be on that team. Yeah, absolutely not. I... It'll be fun because I think that was probably one of the most eye-opening things for me is that actually it looked like he was having some fun out there this weekend. Right. You know, he wasn't just his robot self. I actually, he was actually giving some people some high fives. He waved <laughs> to the fans at the end, gave Kepka a hug at the end. You know, that stuff yeah. Tiger would have never done right. back in the day. So, right. you know, yeah. I think if he brings that type of attitude to the Ryder Cup, it's only going to make the team better. Right, gave Kepka's girlfriend a hug too, but I. <laughs> no, but you're right though. I, that is a different Tiger. Maybe he's maturing. He's in his 40s now. Maybe he just learned from his mistakes. But it is nice to see that he's not a, just a complete robot out there. And, and I do think the Ryder Cup. You add him, they're probably going to throw Phil into the mix. Tony Finau is another name I would like to see on that team. It's exciting. I mean, Europe's got a lot of young golfers as well, so. It's not going to be a cakewalk for the U.S., and those environments are, are, are great as well. I do agree. I mean, I think St. Louis could be the perfect spot for a Ryder Cup in the future. That was the other big storyline, I thought. Is I, I had no clue it was going to be that crowded out there, and there's a ton of criticism. It shouldn't have been here for the 100th PGA Championship, but 16-under is, you know, it's a pretty low score for a championship, but not terrible, but I think the crowds were just incredible out there. It was just jam packed every day. Now, what was what was your strategy for watching golf? And and this is a question I have for most people because I've never been to a golf event live. But did you have to park outside of a specific hole? 
And if so, you know, what was your strategy for getting to a hole and then moving around? How did that work? I'm just fascinated by the whole experience. I changed it up every day. So I went Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, we got out there at like 6 a.m., right when it opened. And like Justin Johnson, and there was a couple decent groups got out early. So we just kind of followed them around because the crowds weren't too bad. But once Tiger got going, you had to just park. You had to get a couple holes ahead. And then once you go through, you got to hop about three or four holes. <laughs> so that that was pretty much the strategy. You know, if he was teeing off later, follow a couple of the decent groups. But then mm-hmm. once he was going, if, if you wanted a good spot, you had to just jump up. Wow. Yeah, I I find that the Tiger effect involves spectator sports too, right? Because he <laughs> once he gets rolling, and it just throws everything off because it's like tracking radar. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that like Fowler yeah. and <laughs> you're talking top five, top ten golfers. And you could just watch them hole the hole with ease. Yeah, and we we try to do it Friday where we kind of got to check out every course so we can kind of see the good holes where maybe you can see two holes if you get at a good spot. So we uh, I thought we'd plan it out. We got to see three on Sunday where he almost at part three almost hold out, and then we were on eleven the putt that was just hanging on. So we actually got to see a couple of the good ones. Well, that's impressive. Only negative was Tiger had to keep changing his shirts because of that St. Louis humidity. But <laughs> yeah, but no, it was good. And I also, I'm also a fan. We'll wrap up the golf discussion on this. I actually like the schedule change for next year. I know it's going to create a longer gap in between uh, majors with the PGA Tour now being played in May. But you're going to have a major every month, and I think that'll be good for the rhythm of getting into major season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was way too hot out there. It was, the some thing. days it was it was pretty miserable on Friday. Yeah, that's the other thing. But no, it's it's a great it was a great tournament, one for the ages. Congrats to Brooks Kepka and, and Tiger Woods officially. I think we can now say back because it, it wasn't just one major. It's two majors in a row where he's played well and has had a chance to win it. So we'll see what happens. Do you think yeah. Tiger's gonna get a couple or do you think he sneaks one in or goes on a tear what what do you think the outlook for his major successes man i think it's all i mean as long as he can stay healthy he doesn't start doing military training again i think he'll have a chance i mean i think if he could get one or two more i think it would just be awesome and you know he's only 42 so i mean that's kind of your you're still in your prime for golf there but i think his body's a lot older than 42 though yeah, just put the combat boots away and focus on being a golfer, and I think that'll yeah. be uh, that'll be fine. But we'll see what happens. Howard Tesson on the Money Mitch effect. Yeah. One other topic to discuss. I know you're a big football fan as well, and I've been putting it off for a while. I think it's time to to, to dive in though. But this Urban Meyer Ohio State scandal it is not a good look for the program. It's not making me enjoy the start of college football season, and there's still a lot to to unearth what Urban Meyer exactly knew, what was reported, what was public record, all that stuff. But when this story broke and you started to read some of the facts, were you convinced that there's more, that Urban kind of had to know something? Or do you think it's possible that there's a scenario where he did everything by protocol? Well, I think it's kind of two different questions. If he knew the extent of everything and if he did follow the protocol on it because I think the one element of him lying at the press conference was just stupid on his part you know now now we all know that he did know something and I think his wife 
having all the photos and text conversations is just another element of it where I, you know, I think it's pretty public that supposedly have this, you know, great relationship. They're very tight. So I just find that one impossible that she wouldn't share that information with them. No, I agree. And I would only add to that, that I think at the press conference, not only did he handle it just terribly, but he could have said something simple like, you know, you always hear things about how marriages are going. It wasn't my place. I tried to give my coach the benefit of the doubt, something like that, where he could have taken of taking uh, responsibility for not taking enough action, but to say he knew nothing was just ridiculous. Yeah, and I think the protocol piece, I think, is going to be the piece that probably is going to make or break him. You know, did he let all the higher-ups know everything that he knew, or did he disclose some information, you know, and not pass everything along that he needed to? Yeah, it almost seems like he, he in the statement that he released after afterwards when he got put on leave that he kind of left his AD out to dry, Gene Smith, that he might be the guy yeah. that's the fall guy because if he did report stuff or, or something of that nature and it wasn't followed up on, then Meyer would essentially be off the hook, so to speak, and it would be up to Smith to have followed through, which he did not. We're all just speculating at this point. I'm waiting to see what the investigation yields, but... I think a suspension and or firing is likely. I don't know. I, I'm still maybe I'm just maybe I'm just being a little uh, optimistic, but I think it's going to result in a couple game suspension because there's one thing that we know, and if you can't prove something directly, even if it looks bad, even if it looks like Urban Meyer was just willfully ignorant, if they don't have it on record that he full on knew. <laughs> I don't know how you can fire him, especially when, and I hate to say it, but you get to that college athletics, the big business, which is winning games, and he's one of the best ever at that. I think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt there as well, as wrong as that may be. I just don't think, unless you have whole, or cold hard facts and evidence, that they're going to fire him. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just it's hard to say right now until we know everything, and who knows if we will ever know everything, but... The amazing thing to me is it would be one thing if it was like your top offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, you know, somebody who you know is being groomed to be a nice head coach at a big program. But, you know, you're just kind of talking about a mediocre wide receiver coach. It's just, it just seems crazy that all this happened for just, you know, a wide receiver coach. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Someone that worked with him at Florida as well. Uh, not what we would want to start the season on. A lot of scandals going on, too, because I know the Maryland scandal, which, unfortunately, you know, tragic event where a player dies during a conditioning drill. But they're putting the onus on the strength coach for not – on the strength coach, on the athletic trainers, and on the head coach, D.J. Durkin, who's on administrative paid leave as well. So Maryland's got their own issues to go through. I'm, I think we're starting to see maybe more action by the universities just based on things that have happened in the past. I think – and, and rightfully so. I think the universities are trying to get more of a grasp on things. i got to think that part of it is because of the scandals that have just happened in the past. It seems like there's been a lot of non-traditional football scandals happening, and, and we're starting to see the universities get a little more proactive. And I give, I give Ohio State credit for how they're handling it, too. They, you know, a lot of times now with social media and the pitchfork mafias, mm-hmm. a lot of schools, they're getting slammed, so they just do the easy thing and fire the guy. They're actually they put him on leave. I sure think it's a smart thing to do, and you know, let's wait to see what the facts are and see what really happened, and we'll make our decision. Right, that's a good point, and 
in, you know, in addition, I mean, if you fire someone and it's proven that they that they didn't know or that you don't have enough evidence to prove that they did know, I mean, Art Bryles won a judgment against Baylor, and Bryles was at the helm of a, a lot <laughs> a lot worse scandal than this. If you believe everything you read out yeah. there, so. I mean, and they could not physically, you know, they, they were on the hook to pay him a couple million dollars as well. So I think this is the way to go. Put him on leave. Ohio State has enough coaching experience in their ranks. It was interesting to see they didn't name Shiano the head coach, though. I know there's a lot of yeah. debate about that. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it was a PR move, Tyler, to be completely honest. They're an offensive team. I mean, I just, I don't know that Shiano is the man to lead that team based on who he was as a coach. I do think, though, that if Myers fired, we're going to have another discussion, whether it's Day, whether it's uh, the guy they brought over for Indiana or Shiano. But it didn't surprise me as much from a football perspective. Yeah, he, I don't think Ohio State wants to play a defensive brand of football. So, you know, there may have been an element of Shiano's past in there, but I, I agree with you there. I think it was more just they want to play the same style of football and don't want to bore everyone. I think that's, uh, that's what's going to happen there. I, it's going to be fascinating. I just don't know what's going to happen with Meyer. And you're talking about a preseason national championship contender with a lot of players on the on both sides of the ball. It's going to be uh, fascinating to see what happens. All right, Tyler on this was fun. I'm going to let you go so I can go watch Hard Knocks and, and watch the best of Hugh Jackson because that guy is just a disaster. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, thanks for having me on, Mitch. No problem. Talk to you later. Big thanks to both guests, Ian Dunn and Tyler Tesson, for appearing on today's episode. If you like the Money Mitch Effect, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Leave a review, a rating, subscribe. Check us out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page as we keep trekking along. And we are almost, almost at football season. College football season only a week and a half away. Hard to believe. I cannot, I cannot believe that we're here. Pro football season keeps going. The NFL season will be starting soon. And you know baseball. Giants and Dodgers getting into a little scrap last night. It's getting spicy in the Major League Baseball season. With tennis going on as well, there's a lot to discuss, a lot to watch. So we're almost through the dog days of summer. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.